Welcome to the Signal Fire series, a limited edition set of conversations with some inspiring people. Just as fire can be set as a signal that can be seen from a distance for others to find their way, so too can our stories be a beacon for those who need a little inspiration to get unstuck or a little courage to take a different path. Today we are talking writing and running and exploring the power of the words that come after the phrase, I am. I am Keshni Washington, and I am a writer based in Washington, DC. Fahima Lambada is my first guest. She has picked up running only in the past two or three years and quickly progressed to running the ultimate human race as the South African Comrades Marathon is referred to. A 90 kilometer or 55 miler for the Americans and she raised a large amount for charity while doing it too. Welcome Fahima, live from Johannesburg. You're an inspiration. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Kishni. So it's evening there in Johannesburg and it's about lunchtime here in, in DC. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. It's a public holiday and outside it's workers' day and we also have been downgraded to level four lockdown restrictions. So yeah, feeling a bit better. Feeling good that you can get out there running tomorrow. Yes, definitely. Can you tell us why the Comrades Marathon is called the Ultimate Human Race? That's a grand name. The reason why it's called the Ultra Marathon is conventionally across the globe, most marathons are either a 42 kilometer or an ultra would be a 56 kilometer. So it's kind of going against the grain, first of all, in terms of distance, because it alternates when we do the down run, which starts in Peter Maritzburg to Durban, that's 90.2 kilometers. The, the race reverses, alternates direction each year. And when we do the up run, it's 89 kilometers. So I think in terms of distance on the surface, that's why it's called an ultra marathon. But when you dig a little bit deeper, all the preparation required to do the Comrades Marathon, just to give you a quick summary, you need to run at least a thousand kilometers in preparation within six months before you get to the race. And you need to do one training run of at least 60 kilometers a month before you actually run the race. So that's in terms of the race and preparation. But uh, for me personally, I think why it's called the ultra marathon is everything that takes place when you're there from the moment you start to finishing. It's just a tough race. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would enter. So everybody knows just getting to the starting line is an achievement. And yeah, I think uh, just, the, just the brutality of the cause and how tough it is and everything that it demands of somebody physically, mentally, emotionally, it's definitely an ultra marathon. Wow. A thousand kilometers. You have to run a thousand kilometers to qualify. Yes, yes. So, so, so that wow. is just a base, a base preparation measure. There's some people that go overboard, like some people um, train for, my, my brother is a bull rowan runner, so he finishes it in under nine hours. So they, they do like 2,000 kilometers in six months. <laughs> so yeah, hence why it's called an ultra marathon. You know, across the world in Europe, everybody looks as a marathon runner, somebody that stands out. And in South Africa, people that run 90 kilometers is a norm it's like the new norm so yeah we're crazy wow that definitely takes some passion and some drive that's a lot of commitment can you tell me what started your experience what sparked you on this journey and what are some of the obstacles that came your way early on because you've only been running for two or three years yes i actually 
got into it just by, by pure chance. So my brother was the actual runner in the family. He took it up also just randomly. When he was 26, he ran his first comrades marathon and he was so addicted to it and he was so good at it. And he then entered a second marathon and I just wanted to see what he was getting out of this running thing. So I just decided, and at that phase, like parkrun, the concept of parkrun was actually becoming on the rise in South Africa. So I went to a local parkrun in my old hometown, Indonesia. And it was just a 5K race. It was my first ever run uh, for five kilometers. You literally get a barcode and when you come through the gates, when you finish, they give you a sticker and you've got to give it to a marshal. And when I gave it to the marshal, he said to me, well done, you're the first female that finished today. I was so chuffed about it. This particular park run actually took your name and email address down and they would send you a little stat of your run. So for your age category, they would tell you you came out first or this was your average pace. So that actually motivated me and I, I just consecutively went back every Saturday. I think like the email that they sent afterwards was the trigger that kept me going back for more. Like I just wanted to better my time or better my, my speed. And then I thought like, okay, the five kilometers is quite easy now. I need to do the next best thing. And that's actually the turning point of when I delved full-fledged into it because then I signed up to my first race, which was a 10-kilometer Soweto race. So you took it up out of curiosity and you saw a positive impact on someone you knew, your brother, and you were curious about it. You just decided to start running. Follow your yes. curiosity, basically. Yes, yes. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And of course, you've never looked back. <laughs> Yes, definitely. So yeah, <laughs> I think I think lockdown currently and sadly COVID-19 has actually forced me to take a break from running because within this period of three years, I literally haven't stopped. And I think that's partially true because even in lockdown, I've been running in my garden. I've done about 70 kilometers in our three weeks of lockdown. So yeah, it's part of my life now, as you can see. <laughs> Wow, 70 kilometers in your garden. Your garden is not 70 kilometers long, obviously. Oh. <laughs> so one loop is only 100 meters. So I usually run up to seven or eight kilometers. I've lost count how many loops there is, probably over 100. Obviously, you have something driving you to do this. When you're running around in your garden, for example, there isn't any scenery like in the beautiful Two Oceans Marathon from in Cape Town, right? So there's just your garden. A little bit of what's going on in your head. Are you thinking about nothing? Are you zoning out? Or while you're running, is it also has an effect on your mind and, and how you think about things? Tell us a little bit more about what's going on up there. For me, it's definitely therapeutic. People normally think they need the scenery or even the music. I mean, when I'm training for my races, I run on the road in Johannesburg where I stay, and it's usually not advisable to run with music. So you actually don't have many pleasurable distractions on the run but it's what goes on in your mind on the run it's actually a journey of mindfulness when you're running because you think of everything that you normally don't have time to because our lives are so busy and when you're running a long race like the comrades marathon it's actually like a journey of self-discovery because you question everything and within a space mm -hmm. of 12 hours you discover things about yourself that you never knew that's focusing on, on just running and everything that it, you tap into your mind, you tap into thoughts you wouldn't otherwise have thought of in any other circumstance. So yes, I think running is very related to mindfulness. It's very therapeutic because when you're running, there's certain points of the marathon where you'll be struggling, you'll be questioning why you're there, you want to give up. 
it takes really a very strong-minded person to succeed at running a race like the Comrades Marathon. If you've got a weak mind, it's not to say that you're not going to finish, but it may count against you because you really need a strong mind to run a marathon. Wow. So it sounds like when you're training, it's not just conditioning for your your physical body, you're actually training your mind as well. So interesting that you're, that it's not advised that you listen to music. Why is that? I think by virtue of the fact that we live in Johannesburg, so the safety aspect from getting the phone or the music pod stolen, but also secondly, so as a rule, we're running facing oncoming traffic. But I, th- I think you still are at a deficit when you have the music in. I mean, you've got to be cautious of anything. You've got pedestrians on the road, cyclists, runners, buses, taxis. So it's just a safety aspect. But if you're within the confines of a park or a park run in a venue, then music is quite okay. Very interesting. Speaking about this voice of your mind, right? Like the strength of your mind. Uh, I call it the voices in my head. They're my own voices, not not actual voices. <laughs> They're my own voice speaking to myself sometimes. When I started to think about writing, which is only a few years ago as well, maybe three or four years ago, I'd never actually seriously done it before. It was just this dream I had. The first thing that happened to me when I started to try and write was that I wasn't sure if I am a writer. So these words that you know come after I am. I wasn't sure if I was a writer. And another voice even said to me, so do you belong here? Are you a writer? Are you good enough? Can you cut it? Some of these things would probably also come across your mind. When did you think of yourself as I am a runner? Was there a point that you knew? I think the first day that I ran a 21 kilometer, which is classified as a half marathon, it wasn't at a race, but it was at a training run with our local community club run. So we literally were running within our hometown, Indonesia, and these guys said to me, they actually had a challenge going. So every year in December, when everybody's going on holiday and on leave, they have an annual, it's called a five-day 21K challenge, where for five consecutive days, the members of the club will run a 21K every day. And you get like different prizes or running t-shirts at the end of it, depending how many you have done. So I was encouraged by my club mates to actually do my first 21 kilometer there. And I thought, okay, why not? Because I've only been doing 10 kilometers. It will be my first. And on the day, I was very nervous. I thought to myself, am I going to be sore tomorrow? Am I going to be unable to walk? And then it turned out that I actually did it in a very good time. So I finished my first 21 kilometer in two hours and 15 minutes. And we ran sort of in groups. And I was noticing that I was kind of in a, in a pacing group of experienced runners. And they kept on asking me, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Do you want to walk? And I was like, no, I'm fine. We can continue. So I think at the end of that day, I realized that, you know what? I actually think either mentally or physically I'm built for this or I can handle this. Or maybe I just enjoy it so much that it's not really cumbersome for me. So I think that was the turning point where I knew I could... After that, all of the milestones just kept getting knocked off because after that, I wanted to try a 30 kilometer. And once I did my first 30 kilometer, then I was like, okay, now I definitely need to try a marathon, a 42 kilometer. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a sequence of progression. But I look at it as a metaphor to life because you, you're always competing against yourself because, I mean, I'm not a professional runner. I'm not getting paid for my running. So I obviously am doing it for myself. 
what I'm measuring myself against is myself. I'm always trying to better my time or have a better experience. If it's a very tough race, like the Comrades Marathon, when I go back, I'm always trying to improve where I know I, I failed the previous years. It's, it's actually a sport of progression. That's why I look at it as a metaphor to life. Because, I mean, in life, we're always trying to better ourselves, improve ourselves. And it's personal as well. Because, like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not an elite or a professional. So everything I do is for my own personal uh, achievement. I really love that. I, I love that it's about competing against yourself, about growing to be better and better and improving and evolution, basically, of the strength of your body and the strength of your mind as you tackle more and more challenges in the form of running. Similar, very similar to, to trying to be a writer as well, word by word, that you've kind of pulled yourself into being a writer. And at first as well, I was saying I, I didn't know what to do. I had a science background. I just knew I wanted to write and there were stories, ideas in my head. And I'd always been sort of reading my whole life. And I'm sure you watched the Comrades Marathon on TV your whole life. We all grew up watching it in South Africa. Definitely. And I grew up with books my whole life. I was always reading. So I assumed, you know, I would be able to write. But actually when I started out, I needed to teach myself the basics the technical details that I needed to learn. And then actually it was finding a tribe, finding a group of people to write with that made the biggest difference for me. Finding a, a writing group uh, online and they kind of formed some of that pacing runners, <laughs> I think, that you yes. had. So yes. I found my own writing group slash pacing runners to help me. <laughs> As they were tackling a book, I decided I, I would just write a book as well after writing only short stories. And then as they progressed, I had to keep up with them. I was a little slower than you were. You got it pretty quickly, but eventually I did as well. And because I stayed with my writing group and I, I'm still with them and they still keep me going. They still help me start a, start a book and they help me progress. And we have each other to share with along the way. And it makes a big big difference and ultimately like you said um, the pacing group is there but it's ultimately me waking up and sitting down at my computer and writing one sentence after another and that becomes the book it's also this little very personal journey but it's so much better when you have a pacing team I love that I'm going to tell my writer friends about that <laughs> what happens when you think at any point like when you're running a 90 kilometer race is there a point where you think I can't do this? Is there a point where some of those doubts start to like, my leg is hurting or my ankle is hurting and you know maybe I should just sit down. Do you ever have those thoughts or do you try to keep yourself very strictly on the goal? I think on the comrades, you definitely, I think any runner, even the professionals, we all go through that. I don't know if I can do this. With my first one, it was different because I was a novice. So I actually was going into something, like going into a tunnel not knowing when it ends, what you're going to encounter on route. So that was what my first one run was like. And the irony of it all is that my first run was pain-free. I had no pain. I had no injuries on, on the way. There were points where either my hamstring or my quads would be very sore. But I just had a lot of things that was riding in the back of my mind that I was running for a charity. People were depending on me to finish 
So I just had a very good day at the running office with my first comrades. Like I didn't experience a lot of pain and I was really lucky because no, usually novices actually see everything for the first time and like complain of their first run, but mine was the opposite. And then my second comrades was exactly answering what your question is asking. We, I got injured halfway, which is only the 40, so the 45 kilometer mark when I just got to the halfway mark. And at comrades, because the halfway mark is so symbolic, that 50% there to getting your medal, there's usually a huge fanfare and there's huge balloons and cheerleader girls and dancing and singing. And that's where your family can actually meet you. And it was so sad for me because that's the point where I discovered that something was going on with my right leg and I couldn't run without wincing in pain. I thought maybe it's just temporary because that's how running injuries go. You know, you know, your body is not used to running 90 kilometers just on any given day. So you do push your body to the maximum on the comrades day. Thought, you know what, it might be something temporary, it could go away. And the more I was running through the pain, the more I was realizing this is actually quite serious. I actually quit three times in that race mentally. I made phone calls to my family to say, come and pick me up, I'm injured, I don't think I continue. 30 minutes later, they'd be calling me to say, are you still going to be bailing? And I'd be like, no, I'm actually feeling better now. Don't come fetch me, I'm continuing, I'm in a good space. <laughs> It really is an emotional roller coaster, and I don't think anybody, even the elites, can say that they run 90 kilometers pain free, like everything is pleasurable. I think that's why it's called the ultra marathon. You literally have to dig deep. That's a, a phrase that most comrades runners talk about. It's about digging deep because you, you really have to tap into things that you don't normally do in any other life circumstance. So the second half of my second comrades race, I had an injury called ITBs. It's a band that runs between your hip and your knee. And my ITB band was the either stiff or inflamed. And because it's an up run, there was a lot of hills. So many of the runners usually walk the hills and try and make up pace on downhills. And the nature of the injury I had I could only run on the uphills and the downhills was pure torture for me. So I just forged on and I put the bullet stuck through the pain. I sort of had a strategy going where I told myself when there's no pain, make up for time and just push. And when the pain did come, I thought just walk calmly through the pain. And it actually worked out because I got my medal with 12 minutes to spare. Um, <laughs> so, so in that instance, I was literally running the second part of the race with my mind, not my legs, because my legs had obviously given up. This is the reason why I wanted to talk to you. I applaud you. That's an incredible feat that you did there. And you're right. You did walk it with your mind. We could apply that to everything that we wanted to do, that same principle. There's nothing we can't achieve, actually. And also biting it up into pieces, because I mean, what's so daunting at Comrades is when you do a normal race in South Africa, if it's a normal um, 21K or half marathon or marathon, when you start, you know you're at zero kilometers in. And when you get to five, the markers on the board will say five. And then you know you've got, if it's a half marathon, you know you've got 19 left. But at Comrades, they actually work the opposite, which is very mentally damaging to you. So you start at zero. And when you get to your first kilometer, it doesn't say one kilometer to say, oh, one down. It actually says 89. So you're faced with these huge numbers if you're honest. <laughs> and your mind is so conditioned to always looking at the positives to say, I've accomplished 10, I've got 10 left. So yeah, they're literally in your face telling you, you have this much left. So 
you just have to work on a strategy. And that's what I did when I was injured. I was literally running my race one kilometer at a time. I said, I just need to get to the next kilometer, okay? And then I would tell myself, well done. Now get to the next kilometer without worrying about how much is left. And slowly but surely that ticked off and I finished. That's still an incredible story. <laughs> I can't believe how strong you are to defend that. And you can see you're saying it's a strategy of taking it the next, very next goal at a time, the very next step in the journey at a time. And that's all you focus, the laser focus on. And then when you got there, you just focus on the next little bit. And you managed to do the entire race that way. I look at it like life. You go into something prepared, fully prepared, and you expect a certain out- outcome. Yeah. I mean, my second comrades, I was expecting to do much better than my first run because I thought my first run went so well. So I went in with a plan A, and my plan A was finish in under 11 hours, and I'll get the bronze medal that I missed the previous year. And then immediately at halfway, my reality changed, my expectations changed, my hopes were dashed in. I was faced with a choice to either quit, which initially I did want to, then you, you make do and you, you realize, you know what, plan A is not happening. You make peace with that fact and then you work on a plan B to say, I'm not going to get the bronze medal, I'm not going to get the time I want, but I still want to finish this prove to myself and even the charity that I was running for that I did try my best, which is kind of like life. We don't always get what we want, but whatever obstacles we get in the way, you've got to make do, manage it and overcome it. Exactly. Very wise words there from somebody who's really been through it on that race. (laughs) Yeah. People usually say Comrades Marathon is a character building race. I've only ran two of them, but I would really consider my second Comrades truly character building. So... Yes. Wow. Who do you admire most in the writing world? Do you have a hero? I think I do, actually. There's a gentleman called Khaled Husseini. He's written a few books. I think, like with running, you have a runner that you admire. I always admired Usain Bolt or Bruce Fordyce with The Long Distance. The same with writing. You usually resonate with a writer that resonates with either you or you as a person or you as a story. And I think I, I'm choosing Khaled Husseini because I've, I've always considered myself an activist at heart, at school and at varsity. If I read all of his books, they always somehow underpin a struggle. Someone, whether it's a little girl in Afghanistan or a mum in Syria, there's always a story that's underpinning someone who struggles. And I've always found myself buying his books and reading it. Now when you resonate with an, with an author, depending how quick you finish the book, that's how I always look at it. One of the books, I think it was A Thousand Splendid Sons. I still remember I read it. I was still working at Standard Bank. I, I had a meeting the next day and he said to me, you're yawning. <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry. I actually was so engrossed in this book last night. I, I started it and I didn't expect to finish it, but I just couldn't put it down and I finished it in one night. So that's why I think, yeah, Khalid Hussaini definitely resonates with me. Yeah, he's definitely one of the greats. I think he resonates with a lot of people. For me, like when you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, back to those I am statements that we always say to ourselves in our heads. Sometimes we can say to ourselves the negative side, right? I'm failure or why didn't I get up earlier? Why, why did I watch TV instead of doing my writing or sitting down? And, and we can sometimes have this negative talk to ourselves, like I'm a failure. I'm, and those voices creep in. When I used to think of myself, I used to always, it's kind of a funny thing, I used to always say, I am a nerd, 
I'm not an athlete. So I would always say this to myself, like from the time I was young, because I guess like books was my way of like escaping. It was like dependable thing in my life. So I would always have a book, but then I sort of wore it as kind of a badge. And I would tell myself, I'm a nerd. I'm not an athlete. That stayed with me the rest of my life in a way until very recently in the last few years. If I tried to exercise, I would always know this is not who I am. So I would give up very quickly if I tried to exercise or do anything physical like that, just because of this identity and this kind of mantra that I was saying to myself all along. A few years ago, I realized at one of these introspective sessions that I did doing some meditation, I realized that I was saying that to myself. And why was I saying that to myself? What if I changed that? Stop making being a nerd in a in quotes, be exclusive to and negate being an athlete. You can be both. As you just said, you can be a bookworm, but you can also be an athlete, which for me was a revelation a few years ago. And so now every time I grumpy with myself, like, oh no, I don't want to go exercise. I try to observe why. And am I thinking of that same old identity of mine? I purposely say, no, I'm an athlete and I'm a writer. I'm an athlete and I'm a nerd. Change that to an and statement and not an either or. It's really interesting to me that you just spoke about also being a bookworm and a marathon runner and just being able to do literally anything that you put your mind to, as long as you make sure to watch those statements that you're saying to yourself right it as long as you speak it and believe it it's much better than negating it and say i'm not that because that that might actually have more harmful consequences we really have to watch our minds and something like this even like running that can help us observe our thoughts or can maybe show us some of the things that could come up think of like a worthwhile exercise are you gonna teach me how to run a marathon <laughs> <laughs> It's literally not that hard. It really is structured. It's not that you're going to go out there and immediately go and just massacre your body. You literally bottleneck them exactly how I said it. You start small. I mean, if you're going to go out and run five kilometers, it's not going to be five continuous kilometers of running. So it's a structured program. And I mean, to enter a 42 kilometer marathon, the training programs, standard programs are all around 12 weeks. So that's literally for every healthy human out there without any disabilities. If you want to run a marathon, you've got 12 weeks and you can do it with 12 weeks of training. I was also just thinking, do you need any fancy equipment? Can you get started where you are? With running and, and with writing, sometimes I can get all fancy. I'm like, no, I need this kind of post-it note and I need this to do, be on my laptop. But essentially, all I need is a pen and a page and I can start writing a book. But sometimes I get caught up in the stuff, the accoutrements. So I need to assemble all these tools, then only can I start. With running, because it's so physical, can you just start? Or is there some basics that you need? Yeah, I think we've actually overcomplicated it with, with time as all of these diets and fads have evolved. I mean, if I look at the comrades runners of yesteryear, like in the 80s, you know, like the, the king of comrades, which we call Bruce Fordyce, because he's won it 10 times. And he always speaks, when he speaks to the new age runners, I've been to a few of his, of his seminars where he gives us advice on how to approach the race. And he always tells us that we've got so much of add-ons that help us in running now we've got shoes that has got extra cushioning so that you don't feel the tar of the road on your soles 
And we've got all of these fueling devices, you know, that like a fuel drink that will give you so much of carbs and fueling energy bars. And he said that when they ran comrades back in the day, the distance was still the same, but he says all they literally survived on was Coke, like good old Coke and bananas and potatoes, salted potatoes. So I agree with what you're saying. It's the same in writing. I think we do overcomplicate it, but anybody can run. I mean, if you look at the greats in, in short distance running in the world, they're all Kenyans and they all come from very humble, poor backgrounds and and from training barefoot. So you literally don't need anything fancy for running. I like that. You can be a barefoot runner. You can be a barefoot writer with a page and a pen as long as you start, right? Yes, correct. Correct. And you, and just like you, you'll never know how good you are. You'll never know you'd be running 90 kilometer races until one day you just try and then you find out whether you can or not, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. I am so happy that you made time out of your Ramadan dinner as well to come and speak with us. I think I'm supposed to say Ramadan Kareem, right? Yes, correct. Thank you so much for making time out of that. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Kareem is one of my really good friends. We've known each other for over a decade now. So the running thing is new, our friendship isn't. And I just want to thank you for being an inspiration to me. I constantly learn from you and I'm hoping that somebody out there can learn a little bit from you too. Thanks, Kesh. Thank you. I'm Keshni Washington. You were listening to Fahima Lambada on the Signal Fire series podcast. There are a few more great interviews coming up on this limited series. Sign up at keshniwashington.com or follow us on SoundCloud or Instagram. Thank you very much for spending this time with us.